From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. It's Shane Begum with you on this Monday, June 5th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, train service has resumed in northern India at the site of a train crash that killed nearly 300 people. People, organizations, and government in China are working together to cut plastic pollution as the country marks World Environment Day. And scientific samples from China's Shenzhou 15 mission are back on Earth and undergoing further study. In business, China's cruise ship industry is getting ready to resume operations following the pandemic. In sports, the NBA Finals are knotted up at one win apiece. In culture and entertainment, the latest Spider-Man installment tops the North American box office. Now the day's top stories. Train services have resumed in Balasore, northern India, after a three-train collision killed nearly 300 people. India's railway minister has recommended handing over the investigation to the federal investigating agency. The minister says the incident was caused by an error in the electronic signaling system that led to a train to wrongly change tracks. A search and rescue have ended after the deadliest train crash in the country in more than two decades. Authorities are collecting the bodies of the victims and helping to deliver them to their loved ones. Ravinder Bawa has more. As soon as the unidentified bodies of the victims of the train accident pour into the hospital in Odisha, their identity is reduced to a number. One that is used in paperwork before the bodies are handed over to bereaved families. Uday Kumar's struggle to look for his younger brother in various hospitals lasted one and a half days. On Sunday morning, he was directed to the city hospital. Kumar found his brother Kundan among the many dead bodies kept in the mortuary. I've not informed my mother, but I have told my father. My mother's heart is weak. She will not be able to handle this news. Just after lockdown, we got him married and he has left behind a small son. The help desk at the hospital is getting queries from many families whose loved ones are still missing. For Jay Kumar, the trauma to find news about his brother is far from over. We are facing difficulty in finding the details about our brother. We've looked for him everywhere. We have searched the collision site. We've went to three hospitals to look for him. Can't get any news of him. Amid the stench of rotting bodies, many wait outside the morgue for information about their missing relatives. They have to go through the trauma of identifying family members as many bodies are disfigured due to the impact of the collision. For those like Uday, who have found their loved ones, the government has made arrangements to send them home. Although it's going to be a long and painful journey, 
Uday is consoled that he's taking his brother with him. Lucky are those who are able to take their loved ones home to bid a final goodbye. But many bodies are mutilated beyond recognition and for those families, these scars will be etched in their hearts and minds forever. That was Ravinder Bawa reporting. Fightings escalated in several areas of Sudan's capital after a ceasefire ended. The rival factions repeatedly violated ceasefire agreements during a two-week truce, and peace talks brokered by Saudi Arabia and the United States have been suspended as well. Both countries said they're still engaging with both the Sudanese army and the paramilitary RSF. Egyptian media say Egypt and Mauritania's presidents have urged the warring parties to reach an immediate ceasefire. Uh, NATO Secretary General says Turkey, Sweden, and Finland will meet later this month to try to overcome objections that have delayed Sweden's membership bid. Jens Stoltenberg made the remarks after meeting with Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan in Istanbul. Stoltenberg says Sweden's amended its constitution in order to join the alliance. Turkey has legitimate security concerns. No other ally has faced more terrorist attacks. Sweden has taken significant concrete steps to meet Turkey's concerns. This includes amending the Swedish constitution, ending its arms embargo, and stepping up counterterrorism cooperation, including against the PKK. Important new terrorism legislation has come into force just a few days ago. In March, Turkey ratified Finland's bid for membership in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, but still objects to Sweden joining the alliance, as does Hungary. It said Stockholm harbors uh, members of militant groups that uh, Turkey considers to be terrorists. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says at least 485 children have died since the start of the conflict with Russia in February last year. Zelensky says the real number could be higher than the officially confirmed data. Zelensky said in his nightly address that many people, including children, have been found buried in graves in areas recaptured by Ukrainian forces. He went on to suggest that all necessary legal institutions are pursuing legal action against those responsible. Oil prices have jumped after Saudi Arabia announced it'll cut production by another 1 million barrels per day. This comes as the OPEC plus alliance of major oil producing countries faces flagging oil prices and a looming supply glut. Johannes Pleschberger has more from Vienna. After a six-hour delay, OPEC and its allies are reported to have agreed a deal whereby OPEC leader Saudi Arabia will make new voluntary cuts. If it is a real production cut, then the impact could be big. But if it's just a covert way to reallocate quotas with no immediate impact on total output levels, then the market will treat it as it is. But why cut production in the first place? It is first and foremost an admission that demand into 2023 will not be as strong as most analysts anticipated. OPEC Plus, which includes allies such as Russia, pumps around 40% of the world's crude, meaning its policy decisions can have a major impact on oil prices. However, it took quite a while for OPEC Plus energy ministers to agree on a final decision. After a delayed start, it was difficult for OPEC's most influential members to persuade underproducing African countries to establish realistic output targets. Reuters sources say this newest output cut will be added to already existing cuts of over 3 million barrels per day. That was Johannes Pleschberger reporting. A prominent U.S. Uh, U.S. House conservative is warning that Speaker Kevin McCarthy has credibility issues that may prompt some Republicans to seek his ouster, as McCarthy lauded the debt ceiling deal that he struck with U.S. President Joe Biden. Representative Ken Buck said the deal failed to deliver the deeper spending cuts that McCarthy had promised. Fitch Ratings said last week that it'll keep the U.S. top-tier credit rating on negative watch until the third quarter due to concerns over the debt ceiling and rising deficits. Coming up, World Environment Day focuses on reducing plastic waste. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations.
nine minutes past the hour. Well, Monday is World Environment Day, and this year's focus is on the urgent need to reduce plastic usage and clean up plastic waste. In China, a collective effort is underway as individuals, organizations, and the government work together within the plastics industry. Li Yunqi has more. China started working to reduce plastic pollution in the 1980s. Measures include banning plastic bags, limiting the use of plastic straws, and reducing disposable plastics. Decades of efforts have helped more people understand the importance of taking care of the environment. Many in China are now trying to use less plastic, and they are sharing their experiences on social media platforms like Reddit. They talk about using reusable containers and share stories and personal reflections about protecting the environment. Ye Yufeng is one of those people, and her posts are very popular, getting more than twenty thousand likes. She says many people have told her that her posts have inspired them to make changes. My followers often send me messages or leave comments, expressing their willingness to carry reusable bags as a substitute for plastic bags at the supermarket. We then connect with each other, becoming friends, and sharing our experiences together. Ye has been focusing on reducing plastic use for three years. And she believes in starting with small actions and gradually influencing others. In the beginning, I brought my own bags to the market, where plastic bags were commonly used. I also switched to using stainless steel containers for carrying items like tofu, meat, and other wet goods. Over time, even my husband, who initially didn't understand my choices, began bringing his own cup instead of buying soft drinks. Yes, efforts are a larger movement towards more sustainable practices, which is also being championed by organizations like Greenstone Environmental Center. It's investigating the environmental practices of businesses in the plastic sector, focusing on more than 20 brands in Nanjing, Jiangsu Province. Secretary General Li Chunhua says their particular attention is on managing plastic bag usage within the bubble tea industry. Bubble tea has become a highly popular and fast-growing industry in China. To attract more customers, milk tea brands often go overboard with fancy packaging and free gifts. We conducted research to uncover this trend and regulate the brands accordingly. Li also says they've been promoting the use of personal cups in bubble tea shops. This initiative has been successful, with widespread support and discounts offered by bubble tea shops. However, according to Li, the catering industry still heavily relies on disposable plastics, leading to significant waste. To address the issue, the Public Environmental Research Center in Beijing has developed a map system for reporting plastic-related behaviors in daily life. It serves as a tool to provide insights into the environmental performance of businesses. Researcher Shen Sunan says the system connects individuals, organizations, and the government. We found that consumers who use plastic bags can become key observers of businesses' plastic waste. They can act as inspectors to assess the implementation of plastic reduction policies by businesses. Therefore, we also encourage them to expose improper behaviors on the map. The exposure prompts businesses to take self-management measures, while the government can enhance policies and regulatory oversight. In 2021, the Chinese government introduced an updated plan to reduce the usage of disposable plastic products in e-commerce, food delivery, accommodations, and other sectors. The plan also includes specific tasks to address and clean up plastic waste in tourist attractions and rural areas. For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Yingqi. In terms of plastic recycling and utilization, China boasts the highest global rate in that field.、Uh, the achievement has inspired a growing number of organizations and individuals to actively participate in plastic cleanup and recycling efforts. Zhu Tianlu reports. Trash Running is an organization with the unique mission of combining running and picking up trash. In 2022, they organized about 500 activities across 16 cities in China. Brand representative Yang Huiwen says collecting plastic waste while running is a win-win activity. 
Our founders began running on the streets of Shanghai simply for exercise, but they quickly noticed the abundance of litter on the roads. They wondered if they could do something to make the environment better while still enjoying running. Ultimately, our goal is to improve the running environment for everyone. Yang also says there are many plastic products that are environmentally harmful but difficult to identify. While trying to reduce plastic waste, we focused on things like plastic bottles. But during a recent campaign to collect cigarette butts, we discovered that they also contain harmful plastic elements that are difficult to break down. We've realized that there are many other products with hidden plastic components that harm the environment. Yu Yangyang has been taking part in trash running activities at a base in Changchun, Jilin province, for four years. He says these activities have helped him become more aware of the environment and its importance in his daily life. We climbed Jing Mountain to collect plastic bottles and bags. This experience has greatly increased my awareness of environmental protection. Previously, I didn't pay much attention while shopping. But now, I always bring my own reusable bags that can be recycled and reused. Yu's growing awareness of environmental issues is in line with China's broader efforts to tackle plastic waste. Last year, China released its first research report on plastic pollution management, which revealed that the country is leading the world in terms of plastic waste recycling and reuse. Over the past decade, China has recycled and utilized around 170 million tons of plastic waste, accounting for 45% of the global total. Researcher Shen Sunan at the Public Environmental Research Center attributes this achievement to the collaborative efforts of the government and various social sectors. The government has implemented policies, regulations and action plans to promote plastic classification and recycling. Many cities in China have built high-tech industrial parks for plastic recycling, creating a complete industry chain from waste collection to the production of recycled products. However, Shen says that plastic recycling still faces challenges in terms of cost-effectiveness. Plastics come in different types and are widely used, making it difficult to recycle them due to inadequate sorting and costly processing. In some cases, recycling can even be more expensive than producing new plastics. It's really a tough business. Finding a practical alternative to replace plastic usage is also a challenging task. The researcher notes that over 15,000 companies in China are actively engaged in plastic recycling and processing. This significant level of participation is expected to bring more solutions and contribute to the country's ongoing progress in this area. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhu Tianlu. Online retailers and food companies have started to develop degradable and reusable wrappings, while also slimming down on the sizes of bags and boxes. Their efforts to cut back on single-use plastic packaging comes amid China's push to reduce plastic pollution in recent years. Guayan reports. The volume of express deliveries in China exceeded 100 billion items last year. Behind this number lies a significant amount of disposable packaging waste. The logistic arms of online retailers such as Alibaba and JD.com have launched various campaigns to reduce the use of cardboard boxes, courier bags, tape, and single-use plastic cushioning materials. Duan Yanjian is head of the Greenstream initiative of JD Logistics. They launched a major environmental project six years ago to promote the use of sustainable packaging materials and reduce the environmental impact of the entire supply chain. JD Logistics launched the Green Stream Plan in 2017 and has since been exploring ways to reduce the use of disposable packaging. Our focus is on reduction. It should be the priority for every company, and it can be achieved by introducing new types of materials. We've been promoting slimming tapes, lightweight yet sturdy cardboard boxes, and thinner cushioning packaging. Through these efforts, We've managed to reduce the usage of plastic packaging by over 35,000 tons per year. Duan says they've also created a smart system that can recommend the right packaging sizes to reduce the amount of wrapping used. 
Public affairs director Tony Bao of Mars China is showcasing their latest candy pouch made from biodegradable material and paper. The well-established consumer brand has been promoting sustainable packaging in China. In the second half of this year, we'll be launching an upgraded packaging for M&M's chocolate beans nationwide. This new packaging is composed of biodegradable material and paper, replacing previous flexible plastic packaging. Under industrial composting conditions, this material can break down into water and gas over a certain period of time. Rising public awareness also generates new opportunities for the green transition of the food company. Over the past few years, we've seen a continuous increase in awareness of the circular economy and ecological conservation in China, both among the government and consumers. This is a very positive sign for businesses. By the end of 2025, the country intends to prohibit the use of non-biodegradable plastic packaging, including tape and express delivery packaging. Senior engineer Liu Gang from the Ministry of Ecology and Environment specializes in solid waste and chemicals. He says China has been proactive in implementing regulations and standards to strengthen the management and control of plastic pollution. China has been at the forefront of combating plastic pollution. Since 2020, it has taken a new approach, considering the entire life cycle of plastics and focusing on grain, circular and low-carbon development. We have strengthened legal and regulatory system, including revised law on the prevention and the control of solid waste pollution, which addresses agricultural films, packaging materials, and disposable plastic products. China set an ambitious target to lead the transition towards a circular economy. By 2025, the country aims to effectively control plastic pollution, reduce the amount of plastic waste in major cities, and establish a complete plastic management system. For the Beijing Hour, this is Guo Yan. The Marshall Islands is considered one of the world's most at-risk countries to the impacts from climate change. The Pacific Island nation is already experiencing those impacts, and is being forced to adapt. Greg Navarro explains. The highest point on the Marshall Islands, most populated island, is less than three meters above sea level. There are no mountains, and most of the islands are very narrow, just meters wide in some places. All of this makes the country extremely vulnerable to rising sea levels. One of the islets has already been eroded to the point where it just looks like a sandbar. So because there was constant overwash, this islet that used to have trees, pandanus coconut trees, and they used to go camping, the family you know, who lived nearby it, now it just looks like a pile of rocks and sand. And that's the future that you can see for the rest of the Marshall Islands. It's not necessarily that we would be underwater, but that the island would become unlivable. This low-lying country is also at greater risk from drought, which threatens limited fresh water supplies, and from damaging weather extremes. In 2015, heavy winds combined with a massive storm surge to push the Pacific Ocean up over the shoreline, damaging roads, damaging homes, and destroying cemeteries. And it all just flooded in, into the grave and broke some of the graves. And so what, what left after that was just skeletons and bones that came out. Paul John watched the water surge through his neighborhood. I saw the rock coming there, and I saw the house broke, broke, some house over there yeah. broke. The wave came and threw the rock, and then the wall falling down. And when people hear us say these kinds of things, they'll say, well, you can just go inland, just build your buildings inland. There's only so far inland you can go before it's already, the island is done. Kathy Jenner is a climate envoy working on the country's national adaptation plan. That focus on adaptation, on changing our island so that we can stay in our island, that demonstrates the severity of the issue and the fact that it's, it's getting worse. That plan includes relocating communities where possible and reclaiming land from the sea. It's a very interesting idea of, you know, even when you do not have enough space or enough land, you can still creating a space to able to build infrastructures. Jedanik Kajenet says the sea level here is expected to rise by half a meter in the next 50 years, underscoring the need to adapt now before the impacts become too great to live with in the future. We're being forced to change our entire island and 
the thing is to for people to remember also is that Marshallese culture is very much tied to land. And so when you're changing that land, you're impacting that culture and that identity. And so this is something that we're being forced to do that we shouldn't have to be forced to do, but we're being very practical about it. That was a report on the climate's impact on the Marshall Islands and how the country is adapting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, studying samples from China's Shenzhou 15 space mission. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 24 minutes past the hour. The Shenzhou 15 crews brought over 20 kilograms of science samples back to Earth. The samples include life forms like cells and roundworms, as well as materials like alloy and amorphous films. Uh, meantime, China's Manned Space Engineering Office says the Shenzhou 16 crew now at the space station will return to Earth in November. The three astronauts reached the space station last week. Shenzhou 17 will set off in October for the handover. The chief designer of uh, the China Manned Space Program uh, has uh, uh, commended the Shenzhou 15 crew's performance during their stay in the country's space station. Huang Weifun also emphasized the growing significance of space science and technology for Chinese astronauts. The construction of the space station is primarily aimed at facilitating applications with relevant scientific research experiments being a crucial task for the Taikonauts. During the station's construction phase, the four flight crews accomplished the assembling, testing, debugging and activation of 28 experimental cabinets across the three modules, including the installation of the extra cabin payload platform. They conducted over 600 rounds of experiments, encompassing 200 projects. They collected approximately 500 samples back to Earth. These offer invaluable research data in fields such as aerospace medicine, psychology, engineering technology, and material sciences. The chief designer added that the Taikonauts will play even more important roles in the application and development phases of China's space station. A 25-year-old woman's dead and six other people were injured in a shooting in Chicago. Deputy Police Chief Adnardo Gutierrez says uh, the shooting happened after a fight broke out during a gathering early Sunday. A large group of people were gathered in the 4800 block of West Iowa in the 15th District to celebrate the life of a man who was killed in a car accident four years ago. A verbal altercation ensued and then multiple offenders began to shoot. Seven people were hit by gunfire, including a 25-year-old woman who was transported to Mount Sinai and she succumbed to her injuries. Six people aged between 17 and 29 who were wounded in the shooting are in hospital for treatment. Uh, the chief says a person or persons taking part in the remembrance event fired the shots. Uh, police detectives are still investigating the shooting and no one's been arrested at this stage. United States has scrambled fighter jets to intercept a light aircraft uh, or with an unresponsive pilot uh, after it violated airspace in the Washington, D.C. area and then later crashed. Officials say the plane crashed into the mountains of Virginia, killing all four people on board that Cessna Citation plane. The F-16 fighter jets caused a sonic boom over the U.S. Capitol as they attempted to pursue the errant plane, causing panic among residents. A statement said the U.S. military attempted to establish contact with the unresponsive pilot. Authorities said the Cessna had taken off in Tennessee and was bound for Long Island MacArthur Airport in New York when the incident happened. The National Transportation Safety Board is expected to conduct an investigation. Former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's received one of the country's top honors. Recognizing her efforts for leading the country through the COVID-19 crisis, the terror attacks on two Christchurch mosques, and the White Island volcanic eruption. Ardern was named Dame Grand Companion, the second highest honor in New Zealand, and she also made the uh, coronation honors list for this year. Uh, the awardee is usually chosen by or chosen in New Zealand by the Prime Minister and then approved by the British monarch. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. 
Beijing's down to 21 degrees overnight. It's sunny and 35 on Tuesday. Chongqing's at 19 this evening, then overcast skies in 29. Last is down to 10 degrees, then cloudy in 24. Hong Kong's clear this evening, 27 degrees, then showers in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 16 overnight, a light rainfall in 24 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 19 tonight, then cloudy, turning to sunny later on in 34 degrees. Bangkok's at 28 overnight. Now, heavy rainfall tomorrow, turning to overcast with 35 degrees. In Africa, Nairobi has a light rain in 25 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney has a light rain in 14 this evening. Light rain continues with the high of 20 on Tuesday. It's time for a short break so far this hour. A train service has resumed in northern India at the site of a train crash that killed nearly 300 people. Uh, people, organizations, and government in China are working together to cut plastic pollution as the country marks World Environment Day. And scientific samples from China's Shenzhou 15 mission are back on Earth and undergoing further study. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come. In business, China's cruise ship industry is getting ready to resume operations following the pandemic. In sports, the NBA Finals are all knotted up at one win apiece. In culture and entertainment, the latest Spider-Man installment tops the North American box office. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. Now checking the day's headlines, here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. Saudi Arabia says it would reduce how much oil it sends to the global economy by 1 million barrels per day to support the sagging cost of crude. Saudi Energy Minister Abdulaziz bin Salman says the reduction will start at the beginning of July and is extendable. We're hedging, but we're using the fundamentals to hedge. And we will continue to hedge as long as we don't see clarity and, and stability. Riyadh's unilateral step comes after two previous cuts to supply by major oil-producing countries in the OPEC Plus alliance failed to push prices higher. United Arab Emirate oil minister Suhail al-Mazouri welcomed the Saudi decision. We always understand each other. We always understand put the market requirements above our own uh, benefits. And I think... Uh, we thank the, uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for the extra uh, bonus or the extra voluntary cut. Other producers at an OPEC Plus meeting in Vienna agreed to extend cuts previously agreed to in April until the end of next year. A senior Indian railway official says preliminary findings suggest that issues with the signaling led to the deadly train crash that killed hundreds of people. Jaya Verma Singha says there may, may have been some interference with the system that sets routes for the trains. The electronic interlocking, there is no issue with that. However, what we have found is that there is, probab- there is probability of some kind of, of a signaling, uh, not even, I wouldn't even call it a failure. 
of signaling interference. She says early findings show that a signal was given to the high-speed Coromandel Express train to run on the main track line, but the signal later changed. She said the root cause of the crash was related to an error in the electronic signaling system and that the probe will show whether it was human or technical. The passenger train then crashed into a stationary goods train loaded with the iron ore, killing at least 275 people and injuring more than 1,000 others on Friday. French authorities plan to deploy 11,000 police, including 4,000 in Paris. The announcement comes as unions have called a nationwide day of protest against President Emmanuel Macron's law to raise the retirement age. French Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin says the extra policing will ensure the security of the demonstrations. Unions have been planning Tuesday's protests since early May, and they precede discussions scheduled for Thursday on a draft bill proposed by the centrist Liot Party aimed at cancelling the reform. Macron's reform to raise the retirement age to 64 from 62 has already sparked weeks of protests and strikes. Nearly half a million disgruntled people from across Poland have taken part in an anti-government march in the capital. They accused the administration of having eroded democratic forms and created fears the nation was sliding down to autocracy. I'm fed up with the rulers. I want to live in a European country that is free and democratic, where minority rights and women's rights are respected where the church does not rule. What's left for us except to show our strength until the elections? We should all be together. We can't do anything else. We are waiting for the elections. The demonstrators took the streets of Warsaw on Sunday to voice their anger at the country's right-wing administration. Warsaw's mayor led the march and estimated that 500,000 people participated. A senior Armenian official says there's a chance that a peace deal could be signed with Azerbaijan by the end of this year. Russia's TASS news agency says Moscow, Washington and the European Union have been trying to help ensure permanent peace between the neighbors. Armenia and Azerbaijan have been engaged in conflict over Nagorno-Karabakh for the past 30 years. TASS earlier reported that the European Council President, Azerbaijani President and Armenian Prime Minister will meet next month. 175 countries have gathered in Paris for talks held by the United Nations to shape a new global plastics treaty. Diplomats and representatives from environmental groups are hoping to agree on new rules to govern the production and use of plastics and drastically cut down on waste. United Nations Environment Program Executive Director Igner Anderson says it requires solutions to the root cause. Only elimination, reduction, a full life cycle approach, transparency and a just transition Only those can bring success, because the truth is that we cannot recycle our way out of this mess. Other experts suggest that there should be a global and legally binding instrument to address the full life circle of plastics, because current governance is fragmented and relying on voluntary efforts does not work. Thank you very much, Chen Yu. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's cruise ship industry is getting ready to resume operations following the pandemic. Want to learn about world affairs in a more laid-back and accessible manner? Join insiders, experts, and analysts in the casual setting of the chat lounge to hear their personal experiences and opinions on major events and hot issues. Subscribe to Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thirty-seven past the hour now, and with the day's business report, here's Sui. Thanks, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished mixed today. Timothy Pope has more. 
The uh, Shanghai Composite Index closed only fractionally higher. Uh, the Shenzhen Component Index and the China Export were actually both uh, in decline today. A lot of the selling pressure came from profit taking on real estate shares uh, after they jumped last week. Uh, China Vanker shares shed 1.1% today. Season Holdings was down more than 2%. There was also a dip for new energy stocks uh, despite reports from uh, Chinese official media late last week that the government uh, might be extending purchase tax exemptions on NEVs. Battery makers CATL and EVE Energy both lost around 3.7% today. Automakers BYD and Great Wall Motor were also down, but by uh, less than 1%. That was Smart Canalis Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen Index gained over 0.8%. In Japan, the Nikkei was also up 2.2%. China's cruise industry resumed operations in the fourth quarter after more than three years of suspension due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The country expects 200,000 cruise passengers this year, were about 10% of the pre-pandemic numbers in 2019. The outlook comes as China struggles to re-energize the travel industry and stabilize an economy that was stifled by strict COVID restrictions. China is planning to undock its first domestically made cruise ship on Tuesday. To further stimulate the service sector's growth in China, digital tools are playing an increasingly significant role. Despite this, experts claim that the adoption rate of digital technology is still relatively limited and have called for more policy backing to boost growth. Zhu Zhu reports. Want to rent or buy an apartment but you are too busy to visit them one by one? Now you have got a convenient option to go. Open an app, fill out your requirement, talk with the real estate agent online, and have an immersive virtual reality room tour. Many customers said this model helped them save much time and efforts to look for an apartment. The VR room is in proportion to the actual object. It's even clearer to visit via VR because you can zoom in to see every detail. About 5 to 10 percent of our customers don't even need to revisit apartments on site and then make their decision to rent or buy. Well, here is just one example of how digital technologies are being applied in China's services sector. In recent years, the rise of payment, food delivery, and online booking platforms have helped numerous sectors go digital. According to the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, the services sector's added value is expected to make up almost 60% of the total GDP, with service industry jobs accounting for over half of total employment by 2025. However, there is a significant gap in the digital transformation of the sector, with less than 1% of companies capable of achieving this development. In terms of scale, enterprises in the service industry generally belong to small and medium-sized enterprises. They usually haven't the vision and awareness to do digital transformation. He added that policies are vital to help smaller-sized companies in the services sector achieve digital transformation. Policies stimulate digital service providers to target SMEs as their clients. The first is to call for digital service providers to give more consideration to providing essential digital services to small and medium-sized enterprises, raising digital awareness and cultivating digital capabilities. The Chinese Academy of Social Sciences Institute of Finance and Economics recently published a research report on the concept of digitalization for China's service industry. The report urges the market to provide more comprehensive digital solutions that can aid companies in achieving digitalization and drive the growth of the sector. That was Zhu Zhu reporting. UBS Group AG is looking to retain more than 100 Credit Suisse Group AG investment bankers across Asia. The Swiss banking giant plans to shore up talent in markets where its rival has a stronger presence. The bank is currently in advanced discussions to keep dozens of Credit Suisse senior dealmakers in countries including South Korea, Thailand, Vietnam and India following a planned takeover. It's also held talks with a few bankers in China, but the final number being kept will depend on discussions with regulators. Data center operator Sectera Technologies has filed for bankruptcy protection in New Jersey. It's two years after the company went public as it struggles to pay down debt and face a severe founding crunch. In March, the company entered into agreement with its lenders to extend its over 120 million U.S. dollar revolving credit facility and extend its maturity to 2024. Sectera shares have dropped more than 90% since listed on the Nasdaq in 2021. 
It agreed to go public through a merger with a blank check firm backed by shareholder activist Starboard Value LP in a deal valuing the combined entity at 3.4 billion U.S. dollars. Data from the World Economic Forum's Lighthouse Initiative shows that China has more advanced factories than any other economy in the world, with 50 factories out of the to- global total of 132. China's complete industrial chain, business-friendly policies, and hardworking local talents are helping create a favorable environment for global companies to flourish in the country. Zheng Junfeng visited the Mandalay's factory in Suzhou to see how they make Oreo biscuits. You could hardly find workers in the world's most advanced biscuit factory. To understand how it works, I asked a engineer to show me how Oreo biscuits are manufactured with a fully automated system. Step one: materials such as wheat flour are brought in by automated guided vehicles or AGVs. The sensors on these vehicles ensure they can follow programmed routes. Step two: the filling is put in the production line. Sensors will tell the system when the filling is running out and needs a refill. Step three: the filling is squeezed onto already baked cookies to make sandwiches. What a clever process design! Step four: the finished biscuits are blown dry and put in order. Robot arms pick random samples to measure their weights, which should be almost the same. Step five: the biscuits are sealed in bags. Putting small boxes and packed into bigger boxes in a fully automated belt line. Everything is done by robots. By employing artificial intelligence, 3D printing, digital twins, Internet of Things, automatic guided vehicles, and other advanced technologies, the Mandalay's factory in Suzhou on-time delivery rate has improved by 18%, while lead times have come down by 32%. Use of high-end technologies has helped the company improve its market share from 23% to 28%. During the upgrade to Lighthouse Factory, we greatly improved operation efficiency, product quality, and employee skills, as well as their income. The Mondelez factory is the third WEF lighthouse factory so far in the Suzhou Industrial Park after Bosch and AU Optronics. A director of the park says intelligent transformation and digitalization is a top priority for the industrial park. Our industrial park has many global manufacturers such as Bosch and AU Optronics that are leaders in intelligent transformation and digitalization. We encourage them to share their experiences with small and medium-sized companies to boost the overall technology levels of manufacturing industry in Suzhou. That was Zheng Junfeng reporting. Authorities say inflation in Bolivia has remained low thanks to government subsidies that kept prices from rising. Between January and May, inflation reached just about 0.5 percent. That's due to the policy of subsidies applied by President Luis Arce's administration to neutralize inflationary pressures and maintain economic stability. While acknowledging the policy adds to the public deficit, the government has pledged to continue to apply subsidies to strategic sectors such as energy and food. Data shows the consumer price index had an accumulated increase of a little over 0.5 percent in the first five months of the year, and of 2.9 percent in the past 12 months. The increase was driven by price rises in a range of sectors, from food and beverages to housing and clothing. Data shows that South Korea's imported car sales fell nearly double digits last month due to the supply shortage of some brands. The Korea Automobile Importers and Distributors Association says the number of imported vehicles sold was down 9.2 percent from a year earlier. The number of European models sold in May accounted for 86.4 percent of the total. Japanese brands recorded an 8 percent market share, while the U.S. brands follow at 5.6 percent. Thank you very much. That was Sui with your business report. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, and coming up in sports, the NBA Finals are all knotted up at one win apiece. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories—all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.
47 minutes past the hour now. Turning to sports and first up in basketball, the Miami Heat evened up the NBA Finals by beating the Denver Nuggets 111-108 to in Game 2. Gabe Vincent scored 23 points. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo each had 21 for the Heat. And the Heat had a big lead early in the first quarter, but then got down by as many as 15 points before reclaiming that lead in the fourth. Miami guard Gabe Vincent talked about the resilience of the team. I mean, it's just it's part of our DNA for one. You know, everyone on this team has, has battled through adversity in some manner and been knocked down and had to get back up. Um, and for number two, we got a lot of experience in these close games. So uh, when it comes down to the wire, we're strangely comfortable. For the Nuggets, Nikola Jokic scored 41 points. Jamal Murray had 18 points and 10 assists, uh, while Aaron Gordon had 12 points. Game three is Wednesday in Miami. In tennis, Novak Djokovic has advanced to the quarterfinals of the French Open by beating Juan Pablo Varelas in straight sets. Uh, he has broken Rafael Nadal's quarterfinal appearance record at the French Open with 17 appearances. Uh, Djokovic expressed his best wishes for his longtime rival Nadal after the game. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what the severity of the, or the nature of his injury is, but uh, you know, if he got on a surgery table, it means it was. It was uh, no, no other solution. So, you know, I, I really hope that, yeah, his re rehabilitation process can go well and that we can see him next season. You know, I think he's uh, so important for our game on and off the court. Uh, one of the greatest legends of tennis in the history of the game. So we want to see healthy Rafa. No, no question about it. Playing um, for what he has announced his last season and... Um, you know, hopefully he's going to be able to do that. Other action at the French Open. World number one Carlos Alcaraz cruised past 17th seed Lorenzo Massetti in straight sets, setting up a quarterfinal clash against 5th seed Stefanos Tsitsipas. Alexander Zverev has also reached the fourth round by beating his friend Francis Tiafoe in four sets. I know what I had to do, but I'm here to play tennis. You know, at the end of the day, I know what happened last year. It was emotional for me to step on that court for the first time when I played Mochon. I'm not going to lie, but uh, now I'm, I'm here to to play some of the best players in the world. And today was definitely the case in that. I'm happy with, with the win and happy to be through. Now, last year's French Open, Zverev injured his right ankle while playing Nadal in the semifinals, and he had to quit the match. In women's singles, former world number three Alina Svitolina has advanced to the quarterfinals after ousting ninth seed Daria Kazatina in straight sets. Uh, next for Svitolina is second seed Arena Sabalenka, who defeated former U.S. Open champion Sloan Stevens to progress. In volleyball, China's beaten host Japan 3-0 to gain its fourth successive win at the FIVB Women's Nations League. The three-time Olympic champions won the three-set match to finish the first competition week undefeated, and they've climbed to second place in the group standings. Japan, who beat China 3-1 in last year's Nations League, suffered its first loss and slipped to fifth place. Chinese outside hitter uh, Li Yingying was the top scorer with 20 points. Middle blocker and captain Yuan Xinyue finished with 10, including two aces. In Formula One, Red Bull's Max Verstappen has claimed his third consecutive win for the season at the Spanish Grand Prix. Mercedes drivers Lewis Hamilton and George Russell uh, finished a solid second and third. And Hamilton says they're quite satisfied with the result. And But this result is definitely what we're working towards, and this is an amazing. And down to all the great, great work that's going on with the people back at the factory, just keeping their heads down. Just I hope everyone's re feeling really proud back at the factory. Um, and George did a great job today, so we've delivered good points on a whole. And uh, take, I think today we took more points than Red Bull. Well, outside of the top three, Verstappen's teammate Sergio Perez finished in fourth place after starting in 11th following a poor qualifying session. Ferrari's Carlos Sainz took fifth at his home Grand Prix. Uh, the eighth round of the 2023 F1 World Championship will be the Canadian Grand Prix to be held in Montreal on June 18th. In football, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has announced his retirement after AC Milan's final match of the season. Ibrahimovic, who is set to turn 42 in October, decided to leave Milan as his contract drew to a close. The veteran player used to play for clubs including Inter Milan, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester United. Ibrahimovic has claimed more than 30 trophies over his 24-year professional career. He made over 900 appearances at both the national and club levels and scored over five. 500 goals.
AC Milan has closed their Serie A season with a 3-1 win over Hellas Verona, while Atalanta and Roma secured Europa League places following their victories. Olivier Giroud converted a penalty and Rafael Leo scored twice for Milan. In other matches, Atalanta finished fifth following a 5-2 victory over Monza. Juventus finished the season disappointingly in seventh place despite a 1-0 victory over Udinese. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in culture, the latest Spider-Man installment tops the North American box office. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. About 53 minutes past the hour now in culture and entertainment with the report. Here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. Sony's animated superhero film Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse dominated the North American box office with an estimated 120 million U.S. dollars on its opening weekend. The film features the Marvel Comics character Miles Morales and is a sequel to 2018's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Sean McMoore reprises his voice role as Morales alongside returning cast members Haley Steinfeld, Jake Johnson, and others. The film also took in 88 million U.S. dollars during its international debut weekend, including over 17 million dollars from the Chinese mainland. The Michu Museum in Beijing recently opened a brand new exhibition showcasing a wide range of ancient relics from Egypt. The exhibits include the mysterious mummies and the valuable decorations that ancient Egyptians used. Shen Li takes a closer look. Encompassing more than 100 objects drawn from the Egyptian Museum in Barcelona's collection of ancient Egyptian art, this exhibition explores the daily life, hieroglyphics, religious beliefs, and funeral culture of ancient Egyptians. Visitors get a rare opportunity to uncover the different aspects of culture that originated along the banks of the Nile River thousands of years ago. The exhibit's pièce de résistance is a gilded mummy coffin belonging to an unknown woman. I'm also an archaeologist who has worked in Egypt and excavated many ancient artifacts, including this gold coffin mummy excavated in the 1990s. It was partially destroyed, and my colleagues and I had spent a lot of time repairing it. And the Beijing trip actually marks its first overseas appearance outside the museum. One of the things Chinese people may find familiar is the writing system of the ancient Egyptians. Like how the Chinese characters originated, they employed characters in the form of pictures. Museums are now seeing more exchanges among different cultures and concepts. It's no longer merely a place to store and display, but also a place to connect and inspire. I believe that the primary function of this museum is to protect the ancient artifacts and study them, but they are also the road of educating future generations. In modern society, museums are also great places for socializing. Many young people like to go to museums on dates. Personally, I don't know if this change is good or bad, but I will accept it with pleasure either way. And I sincerely hope our collection could inspire more people to learn more about ancient Egypt and sparks more cultural dialogue. This exhibition is an epitome of the many cultural exchanges between China and Egypt, two of the world's most ancient civilizations. The homes of the Great Wall and the pyramids can not only admire each other from a distance, but also join hands to exemplify the importance of mutual learning between civilizations. That was Sheng Li reporting from Beijing. To help improve understanding of Chinese culture, many museums and exhibition centers have launched innovative activities. In Anyang, Henan Province, the National Museum of Chinese Writing is a national first-grade museum. Staff member Yang Xiaoyu says the museum has adopted a lot of digital interactive projects such as word puzzles and jigsaws to give visitors a better experience. 
In recent years, we've kept improving our level of public cultural services. We've also applied demasification in our education projects and launched a series of activities such as beautiful Chinese characters, explore the bronze, and the basic exhibition of the history of the development of Chinese characters. In Xinzhou, Shanxi Province, an experiential museum about traditional Chinese medicine has rolled out exhibitions that combine digital technologies and on-site activities. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu with your culture and entertainment report. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now. Beijing, overnight, 21 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow is sunny and 35. Chongqing's down to 19 this evening. It's turning to overcast tomorrow, 29 degrees. Last is at 10 this evening, then cloudy and 24. Uh, Hong Kong's clear and down to 27 degrees. Then it showers in 32 on Tuesday. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 16 overnight. A light rainfall in 24 tomorrow. Islamabad's down to 19. Then cloudy, turning to sunny in 34. Bangkok's at 28 this evening. Heavy rainfall tomorrow, turning to overcast and 35. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rain and 25 degrees Celsius. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at or getting a light rain and 14 this evening. Uh, tomorrow, the light rain continues. The high is 20 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, train service has resumed in northern India at the site of a train crash that killed nearly 300 people. And scientific samples from China's Shenzhou 15 mission are back on Earth and undergoing further study. On behalf of the staff, Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.